thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your hosts, Daniel and Eduardo, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. All right, welcome to the Another Self Podcast. I am Eduardo. I am here with Daniel. Hello. And yeah, it's good to be back in the seat, be back into the perspective and the amazing insight of Alice Bailey and the labors of Hercules. And so much to talk about. Um, and I, I know I'm reiterating myself when I say that when we take time away from some subjects, it's so, Dale and I were just having this conversation it's so refreshing when you kind of reread things and you see, you know, maybe some things you hadn't seen before, but also kind of had that admiration for an individual that you've been, you know, trying to understand their perspective with Alice Bailey. You know, we bring up her name a lot, but that, that idea that she brings um, to the writing is, you know, just felt throughout um, a lot of what she says by her theosophical perspective, but also, sort of like a psychoanalytical perspective that I think kind of starts revealing itself more and more as you start reading the 12 labors of Hercules through, through her, you're like, Oh, she really, and, and she is from that time where, you know, clinical psychology probably hadn't started taking off like it did later on, but it had, it had begun as far as an idea of, of what these archetypes meant and how they're really a personification of what we're doing in our life. And so, um, and how we're going about these things in our lives. And in this case with, you know, the protagonist, uh, Hercules and his journey through becoming a individual of higher consciousness and, uh, self-awareness that I think is really cool. So, um, I know I said a lot there, but we do have the story and so I can't wait to break that down, but yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Should we just jump in and get this, you know, let the story be told and then we'll kind of have our conversation. Sounds good, man. Perfect. Cool. And away we go. Labor 4, The Capture of the Doe, Part 1. The great presiding one, who sits within the council chamber of the Lord, spoke to the teacher standing by his side. Where is the Son of Man, who is the Son of God? He fares he? How is he tested, and with what service he now engaged? The teacher said, casting his eye upon the Son of Man, who is a Son of God, Not at this time, O great presiding one. The third great test provided much of teaching sustenance to a learner such as he. He ponders and reflects. Provide a test which will evoke his wisest choice. Send him to labor in a field wherein he must decide which voice of all the many voices will arouse the obedience of his heart. Provide likewise a test of great simplicity upon the outer plane and yet a test which will awaken on the inner side of life, the fulfillment of his wisdom and the rightness of power to choose. Let him proceed with the fourth test. Before the fourth great gate stood Hercules, a son of man and yet a son of God. At first was silence deep. He uttered not a word or made a sound. Beyond the gate, the landscape stretched in contours, fair and on the far horizon stood the temple of the Lord. 
the shrine of the sun god, the gleaming battlements. Upon a hill nearby, there stood a slender fawn, and Hercules, who is a son of man, and yet a son of God, both watched and listened, and listening heard a voice. The voice came out from the bright circle of the moon, which is the home of Artemis. And Artemis, the fair, spoke words of warning to the son of man. The doe is mine, so touch it not, she said. For ages long I nurtured it and tended it when young. The doe is mine, and mine must remain. Then into view Diana sprang, the huntress of the heavens, the daughter of the sun. Leaping on sandaled feet toward the doe, she likewise claimed possession. Not so, she said, Artemis, fairest maid, the doe is mine, and mine it must remain. Too young until today, it now can be of use. The golden antlered hind is mine, not yours, and mine it shall remain. Hercules, standing between the pillars of the gate, listened and heard the quarrel, and wondered which as the two maidens strove for possession of the doe. Another voice fell on his ear, and with commanding assent said, The doe belongs to neither maid or Hercules, but the god whose shrine you see on yonder distant mount. Go rescue it, and bear it to the safety of the shrine, and leave it there. A simple thing to do, O son of man, yet, and ponder well my words. Being a son of God, you thus can seek and hold the doe. Go forth. Through the fourth gate sprang Hercules, leaving behind the many gifts received, encumbered not himself in the swift chase which lay ahead. And from a distance the quarreling maidens watched. Artemis the fair, bending from out the moon, and Diana, the huntress of the woods of God, followed the movements of the doe, and when due cause arose, they each dueled Hercules, seeking to foil his efforts. He chased the doe from point to point, and each with subtlety deceived him. And this they did, time and again. Thus for the length of a full year the Son of Man, who is a Son of God, followed the doe from place to place, catching swift glimpses of its form, only to find that in the fastness of deep woods it had been lost. From hill to hill and wood to wood, he hunted until close to a quiet pool, full length upon the untrampled grass, he saw it sleeping, wearied with his flight. With quiet step, outstretched hand, and steadfast eye, he shot an arrow towards the doe, and in its foot he wounded it, exciting all the will of which he was possessed. He near drew, and yet the doe moved not. Thus he drew close, and clasped the doe with his arms, close to his heart, and Artemis and fair Diana both looked on. The search is over, he chanted loud. Into the northern darkness I was led, and found no doe. Into the deep dark woods I fought my way, but found no doe. And over dreary plains and arid wilderness, and deserts wild, I struggled towards the doe, yet found it not. At each point reached, the maidens turned my steps, but still I did persist, and now the doe is mine. The doe is mine. Not so, O Hercules, came to his ears the voice of one who stands close to the grave presiding one. 
within the council chamber of the Lord. The doe belongs not to a son of man, even though a son of God. Carry the doe to yonder distant shrine, where dwell the sons of God, and leave it there with them. Why so, O teacher wise? The doe is mine, mine by long search and travel, and mine likewise because I hold the doe close to my heart. And are you not a son of God, although a son of man? And is the shrine not also your abode? And share you not the life of all who dwell therein? Bear to the shrine of God, the sacred doe, and leave it there, O son of God. The holy shrine of Mycenae, Hercules bore the doe, carrying it to the center of the holy place, and there he laid it down. And as he laid it down before the Lord, he noted on its foot the wound made by an arrow from the bow he had possessed and used. The doe was his by right of search. The doe was his by right of skill and prowess of his arm. The doe is therefore doubly mine, he said. But Artemis, standing within the outer court of the most holy place, heard his loud cry of victory and said, Not so. The doe is mine and always has been mine. I saw it form, reflected in the water. I heard its feet upon the ways of earth. I know the doe is mine, for every form is mine. The sun god spoke from out of the holy place. The doe is mine, not yours, O Artemis. Its spirit rests with me from all eternity. Here in the center of the holy shrine. You may not enter here, O Artemis, but I know I speak the truth. Diana, the fair huntress of the Lord, may enter for a moment and tell you what she sees. Into the shrine for one brief moment passed the huntress of the Lord and saw the form of that which was the doe, lying before the altar, seeming dead. And in distress she said, but if its spirits rest with thee, O great Apollo, noble son of God, then know the doe is dead. The doe is slain by the man who is the son of man, even though a son of God. Why may he pass within the shrine, and we await the doe out there? Because he bore the doe within his arms, close to his heart. And in the holy place the doe finds rest, and so does man. All men are mine. The doe is likewise mine, not yours, nor man's, but mine. And Hercules returning from the test passed through the gate again and found his way back to the teacher of his life. I have fulfilled the task set by the great presiding one. Simple it was except for length, time, and weariness of search. I listened not to those who made their claim, nor faltered on the way. The doe is in the holy place close to the heart of God, and likewise in the hour of need, close to my heart also. Go look again, O Hercules, my son, between the pillars of the gate. And Hercules obeyed. Beyond the gate, the landscape stretched in contours fair. On the far horizon stood the temple of the Lord, the shrine of the Son of God, within glistening battlements. On the nearby hill, there stood a slender fawn. Did I perform the test, O teacher wise? The fawn is back upon the hill where I earlier saw it stand. And from the council chamber of the Lord, where sits the great presiding one, there came a voice. Again, and yet again, must all the sons of men, who are the sons of God, 
seek for the golden antlered fawn and bear it to the holy place again and yet again. Then said the teacher to the Son of Man, who is the Son of God, Labor the fourth is over, and from the nature of the test and from the nature of the dough, frequent must be the search. Forget this not, but ponder on the lesson learned. All right, perfect. That was a wonderful telling of that story. Um, and, you know, this is a this is a really exciting venture that we're approaching because what we've done here is now we've completed the elements. We've met all four of the elements. We met fire with Aries. We met earth with Taurus. We met air with Gemini. And now we're connecting to the water. And so the stage is set. So the story begins. And we have this unique kind of aspect moving forward. And that's what we're going to kind of look at today. We're really going to look at the emotions, intuition, you know, intellect and instinct, everything that was kind of brought up in that story. And we're going to kind of break it down. But cancer really reminds us, cancer is always going to represent the home and our original home, which is not only the universal oneness that we kind of fell into with this experience and matter, but also our physical first home, which is the womb of the mother. And this is a very special connection. And, you know, what was kind of developed and, you know, cancer is actually where the birth of the savior actually happens. You know, even in the story of Jesus in old esoteric times, he was born in the sign of cancer. And then he becomes the the true prophet in the in the the sign of Capricorn, which is going to be kind of the counter of this. And we're really going to kind of just like the other signs, you really want to learn the counterpart of what sign is across the zodiac because it tells us about the crosses that we carry you know, and the balancing of these two energies from Capricorn, which is going to be more of your, you know, masculine, almost father energy. And then the loving, nurturing energy of the mother that's going to be represented in cancer and how important nurturing is in the development of the self and the grace and the unconditional love that we, we begin to approach here. And you know, this is our original home and it's the wombs of, you know, the mother. It's, we all spent nine months there and it was really nice. It was perfection. You know, food just came in without any desire or need. We were in this like perfect jacuzzi of temperature and we were in that oneness with our mother and everybody actually remembers the womb, whether like we don't consciously remember it, but you know, we all got moved out of that. And this is like almost the elephant in the room. And this is why cancer, when we kind of talk about its emotions, its empathy, and its intuition, is truly because cancer lets us know that we never truly forgot what the womb was like and what that oneness felt like. And the thing is, is we can't stay in that oneness because we're on this independent journey, but we know that's what we're making back to is this oneness with the universe and getting back into that connection, but getting it back on our own accord, you know, unfolding our own destiny and really blossoming our own authentic self. That's going to be nurtured in the sign. Oh, well said, dude. It's, it's yeah. I always want to make sure that I don't interrupt because, you know, I, I'm just going to start talking over you and I don't want to do that because, you know, yes, there are so many questions and with the labors corresponding to the signs that we're moving into, 
there's so much to unfold with even part two, you know, um, that I have so many questions for and I'll save it for that. But I like that right out of the bat, you're, you're kind of talking about that mother intuition, that, that home that we've always known that is, you know, with, of course, with founded within the womb, but it's also something that carries with us throughout the, the, you know, the whole length of our life, as far as where it's in our subconscious and the memory of what it was like to be there. Um, and the emotions that it, um, it might evoke, um, uh, once you kind of go into that instinctual, um, layer underneath the surface. And that's what I like about the story with Hercules so far is that we're seeing this man and this myth sort of come together as not just only a person that's ambitious and trying to conquer, but also someone who's being introspective more and more. And with that, having these personal gains that aren't met with physical force or physical achievement. And I think that it's super imperative, you know, that we talk about why it corresponds to him this way with the sun and the moon and this mother intuition and something so delicate like this hind or this doe that he's trying to capture. You know, as it's said here with, you know, in the meaning of the story with Eurystheus, um, you know, sending Hercules to go get the golden hind, and, you know, it, it talks about how the word hind, you know, comes from the old Gothic word, meaning that which must be seized and that which is elusive and difficult to secure. Mm -hmm. And so all these things that kind of came up within the story, I know we're going to unfold right now. So, but I want to go back to this idea of cancer in the womb that you're talking about. And we'll go from there and we'll go uh, expanding on and on from the not only sign of cancer, but what you said is in its opposition with Capricorn. Mm-hmm. And what that really represents the story. So let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, with the the variations of this myth, um, sometimes it's it's almost spoken as a stag, and sometimes it's spoken as a doe. Um, and you know, really, what we're looking at here is really the esoteric significance of even the deer, what the deer represents. You know, the deer the deer represents this ability of agility, this adaptedness. Um, its horns represent the protruding of the tree of life coming out of the crown chakra, you know, and it's actually the true tree of life actually making its way out and almost becoming an antenna of this universal life force in this deep esoteric wisdom that's available to you when you kind of tune your tuning fork to be able to connect to this. And the only way we can tune our tuning fork is by getting closer to our heart. And that's really where this story is going to go. And that's what the conclusion of the story is of Hercules being able to not only capture the deer, but bring it. And you you hear it, he, he holds it close to his heart. And, and that's what we're really connecting to here. Through Aries, we learned about the fire of life mm -hmm. and the coming on of life. Through Taurus, we learned that, you know, form and that beauty is the cause of form, it's not the effect of form. Through Gemini, we learn the analytical process, we learn the communication, the communication between the two hemispheres of the brain. And now we're getting, we're coming home, and we're connecting to the heart, and holding ourselves deeply connected to the ultimate guide, and our own universal life generator, which is the heart. And that's going to play a huge role in really the the remainder of the story of the bastard is utilizing that heart as the ultimate guide, the generator. And now we still operate in through the trivium, which is as I think, so I feel, so I act. But what happens is when we get connected to the heart, 
it becomes this this generator that raises our frequency. And so now our thoughts are coming through a higher octave. It's a more clear and it's more aligned to our higher self and our destiny and you know the unfoldment of the universal plan. And so the heart is actually the generator that actually rises you up to get into those new octaves. So your thoughts are more clear. They're not as full of static. They're not manipulated. You can see through the deception and you can actually really start activating that. And so, you know, raising up that vibration, raising up that frequency so we can perceive more of the thoughts of the universal mind. And that's what we're working through here. And the heart is the powering generator. It's the power plant of that. And so the heart truly is the ultimate guide. It's, it's what we need to connect to. You know, we, we learned about this in Gemini and we know about this through like even the study of the esoteric brain, it's very important for us to learn how the brain operates to, you know, activate it to its full potential. And then what we're really going to see is that the brain almost steps out of the way because the universe is one step above logic. And that's going to be the big thing that we're going to kind of encounter here is that the logical mind can only get us so far. And that's actually a very difficult thing for more of the esoteric and the occult student. And we're going to kind of talk about, you know, how important the intellect is, but also how damaging the intellect can be to our spiritual development, because we become too attached to the logical mind, and we don't give any space to listen to that soft voice of our intuition, which is the true guide, you know, the, and that's what we're going to be kind of looking at um, and kind of discussing. But the, you know, this idea of, um, you know, the doe. Um, you know, doe, the deer, the female deer, right? Um, and it represents, you know, fertility, right? grace, you know, agility. And, you know, we spoke about those antlers being an antenna to the ether. Um, the deer is going to also represent the east, the rising of the sun. This is the birth of this, you know, baby Jesus or whatever baby prophet it is, right? This is the the coming of the dawn of a higher consciousness. And we're going to kind of keep continuing that journey and then go through the ultimate initiation in Capricorn, where it's going to be like the spiritual death and the true savior is reborn. Um, and so that's what we're kind of doing here. You know, even the manger in the, in the story of Jesus, well, the manger represents cancer and deep in esoteric times. And like through esoteric studies, they really see the birth of Jesus happening in the summer as like baby Jesus, right? And then it's through the process and the process of the rebirth um, that we actually kind of get that Capricorn. And that's when he really kind of takes his role. And then we also obviously have like Easter where we really kind of arrive at that Christ consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're kind of looking at here. But this is the birth of the Savior. Um, This is sunrise, you know, and even the aspect of the deer shedding its antlers, you know, and that's, that's a huge component. We, we think about this with like the esoteric significance of the snake, the shedding of the skin, the shedding of old patterns, the shedding of old thought, you know, emotional responses and all of the things that's so important in the spiritual development and really the idea of, you know, spiritual death and rebirth. And, you know, just thinking about how the doe, and the deer are so connected to their instincts, how quickly they react to the breaking of a branch when you're looking at them. Right. And all of a sudden they could be so peaceful and they just like kind of take off. And that kind of 
insight that's that's created there, but also their ability to change pace and still keep their momentum going. This is a very important lesson for us as esoteric students because we might have to change the pace slightly as we're going to avoid dangers, to avoid, again, you know, things that don't serve us, but we still can kind of maintain that pace. And that's just the agility of the deer to, you know, adjust its direction to ensure its spiritual safety. Right. Right. And so really, really, um, you know, important thing to kind of look at, but the main theme of this lesson, and we're going to get into cancer, um, you know, the more like what you would say, like your standard astrological correspondences with it. And, you know, the womb, the shell, the crab, and all of those aspects. But what this is really focusing on with the labor of Hercules is the idea of instinct, intellect, and intuition. Perfect. Right? And, you know, how they play together and the importance of all three. And, you know, that's pretty much what the dilemma is. Because we have three different deities that are claiming ownership of this. And they're almost in a war. Well, this is happening inside of you. You know, the the fight between your instinct, your intellect, and your intuition. And this is this is a very important thing that we see because they build on top of each other. And now there is a superior, you know, hierarchy here, mm-hmm. but they all three need to be in operation at all times, you know? And so thinking about instinct, how important instinct is, it keeps us alive. You know, we live in a realm where stuff wants to eat us. Stuff is bigger than us. We have very soft skin. You know, we are fragile individuals in this very tough Saturn world that we find ourselves in. And so this instinct plays such an important role, but we've also seen how instinct can also deceive us, right? So we see, you know, an object that we think is a snake on the ground and we like jump away from it. Right. Our instinct is like danger, right? Which is good. But then our intellect kicks in and we're like, that's not a snake. That's a hose. It's just, it, I might, you know, in my instinct, I perceived it as a danger, but now my intellect takes over and I can actually see that actually, no, that isn't a danger. Right. And so understanding how they kind of build on top of each other, you know, and how like even say we do see a snake and then the intellect comes in and it's just like, if we don't have the intellect to kind of process it, you know, we might think that the snake is playing us a song, but it's actually rattling its tail. And it's exactly. just like, oh, let me go dance with that snake that's like dropping that beat. And then that will be the end of us, right? Yeah. So see how they kind of build on top of each other. The instinct keeps us alive. The intellect is going to evaluate if this is actually a danger or not and kind of respond to it. But the thing is, is the intellect cannot serve us alone. And this is a this is a very big again, a problem for more of the like esoteric occult students. And because the esoteric occult student is so curious about all of this information that they really like pour all of their energy into studying, right? And they really build up their intellect. But the problem is, is they get too attached to the intellect. Right. You know, we've even spoken about this with, um, you know, one of the big criticisms that we get on the podcast is that we don't cite enough sources. Right. And, you know, yeah, that's the thing. But, and that's, of course, something we've tried to do a little better. But with this information, it's already within you. Yeah. That's a brilliant, brilliant thing to say. Because, I mean, in transmutation, you need the 
ability to have intellect and intuition come to one. But once you have those, that intellect become your intuition, that's what we're doing here as just people who are speaking of what we've interpreted, how we've objectively observed, and then what we have actually been able to apply. And so the citation issue that I think that's funny, you bring that up, but you're absolutely right. But the citation issue is missing the whole point. It's like, we're not here to reiterate what has already been said. We're here to take what's been said as an intellect and then actually have that transmutation process into what it could be into intuition. And then we can go about the topics we go about as just friends and what we've observed from what has happened to our lives and our experiences. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And again, this is, but we can see the danger if we're too into our intuition with no intellect. Exactly. You know, and that's kind of what you would say more of like a right brain and balanced person. And, you know, that might be a little bit like, and I, again, I love all spiritual development, but the occultist sometimes can be too left brain dominant. And like the new age community can be a little bit too right brain and dominant using the intu intuition, but not having the intellect to actually understand what the intuition is telling us, you know, and the intuition's going to kind of come around. So, you know, we, we see the snake, right? So that we, we, we respond to the snake as our instinct. Our intellect tells us that that's a dangerous snake, right? Then our intuition comes in and it's just like, what is the spiritual significance of seeing the snake today? You know, where am I in my life? What is the lesson that's coming here? And that's when we get deeper insight. Well, you're not going to find that in a book because it's personal to you. And it's unfolding the universal infiniteness of your subconscious. Right. Your subconscious knows this esoteric information. You are re-remembering this. And so what happens is we really, as we're kind of going through this process, we're giving, why you learn the esoteric and the occult, why you study this is to give housing units and language to your subconscious so it can better communicate to you. Exactly. So this is why we really want to kind of focus on learning symbols and astrological correspondences. Everything in your life has astrological correspondences. All nouns and verbs have their astrological essence to it. And this is how we actually want to start seeing reality. And this is how we actually utilize our intuition to be able to speak to us. Mm. You know, everything. We talk about like communication. Well, that's ruled by Mercury. You know, the conversation about death. Well, that's Mercury and Saturn right? It's the conversation about the finiteness of life. So you have the interchange of energies and you have Saturn. Every experience and everything in your existence has astrological signatures to them. And this is why we kind of learn these. So the intuition can speak to us and we can see the deeper message that's happening behind the scenes with the hind of the deer, right? And we really start to see this guiding force that's trying to always wake us up to what is true and what is real and lead us away from deception and falsality. Right. And so that's what we're kind of like looking at here. And so intellect is so important, but the intellect is there to give language to the subconscious, to understand it. And again, if we're you know fully intuitive, but we don't understand the symbols that are being presented to us and we're just... You know, we're we're just taking our dream symbols of like what we think it means rather than kind of looking up to like what this universal symbol has meant to all of human consciousness. Right. Well, we're not really, we're not going to be able to 
understand it to its fullest extent. And so we utilize the intellect, again, to better be able to communicate and serve our subconscious, which is the universal connection to the infinite, to that OG, to that original generator. And it's all within us. It's all in. It's always been within you. And that's what we have to kind of take this move to. You are allowed to discern what is objective truth. Right. And you can feel it in yourself. You know, you don't need to... There's a very big danger of only taking information that has to be cited in a book. Because you, if you really work through your lens and you get a sober look on life, you are the individual that can decide, well, does this resonate with objective truth or not? You are the, the connection there. Just because something has been published doesn't mean it's true. And there's so many things in the spiritual understanding and the spiritual self that is beyond words, that could never be collapsed in the written or the spoken word. It's an intuitive understanding that's within us. And that's what we're moving to. You know, not everything, you know, the universe is, again, it's one step above logic. No, totally, man. No, I, I, I love everything you're saying in regards to, you know, even the development of our hero, you know, as he goes. And, and even when he's being spoken to in the fable or in the story, they talk about how, you know, the 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 man, the human being, but the son of God. And as he approaches that step into the kingdom that he belongs in as a God and not more of a human, he starts to have that sort of understanding of what lies in the middle, the middle being that intellect and understanding what's going to really take him to that. Um, not just that understanding, but they talk, talk about the um, development of his intuition right? And how to become familiar with this uh, recognition of truth. And that's what you're basically saying with, with regards to the comment you made with citations is that you should be able to discern that you should be able to say, you know, what does this really correlate with truth and the truth that I believe in? You know, the individuals who are speaking of this isn't necessarily the one and all be all of what is uh, understood intellectually, but whether or not it's felt intuitively. You know, if it doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. You know what I mean? But for the, our hero here, he needs to have these lessons in order to understand and leave behind, you know, that um, the, the, the discernment of just only two, which is instinct and intellect. You know, he's using both to get through these labors, but there's something else waiting for him that's going to marry them all. And then he can carry on to the next tasks, but from a perspective that is one that acquired or allowed him to shed this other side of man that we all have to go through. You know what I mean? And that's, what's interesting about even just doing this podcast with you, man, is that, again, you can talk about so many different philosophies. We can talk about so many different um, approaches to spirituality and, or to modern spirituality, but all of them, as far as how they tie in together, you know, it's only so much information you can take on before you have to start applying it to it uh, from an intuitive perspective and how to discern your decisions in life based on this information, not necessarily just reiterating the information all the time and saying, this is how I live. It's like, okay, no, these are all the pieces of how you should live, but now put them together, marry them all and use the intuition to carry the, the greatest task that we, I think we have here personally, which is to just find love and peace and truth and, and bring that to every person who doesn't feel that, even though it is felt by all of us at one point in time, although lost by maybe too much of this 
intellectual or too much of this instinctive, you know, instinctive, maybe a lower self within that reptilian side that we talk about that lower self, that's always just sort of fearing, but not understanding what they're fearing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, it's kind of cool to just to see again, the progression of this, of this protagonist here, Hercules is again, just always following the parallel path of us as the, of, of the being going into the phase of this transmutation and taking, um, this for for all of it what it is into intuition you know what i mean and and make the next step over so i think that's uh yeah it's actually been really one of my favorite store or of all the labors i think you can see that i definitely did not have a full understanding that the labors as they were de developing i knew that the unfoldment of these labors through alice bailey were going to have with to do with the psychological understanding of the approach of man and it's um ascension to to a higher self but oh, the way she does it is just just so great you know what i mean so um carry on my friend yeah no and that's and that's perfect and you know we were again you know kind of coming back to this idea of of water in the womb and you know just the completion of the four the first four elements and what we're going to have with cancer is it's it's our water sign but this is cardinal water, just like Aries was cardinal fire, okay? And so this is the beginning. This is the birth. And so when we kind of think about this, this is one of the greatest ways to kind of think about the triplicities, like the, you know, the, um, the idea of cardinal, fixed, and mutable. When we think about cancer, cancer is life. It's the coming of life. It's the breaking of that threshold when you were going from darkness into light, right? right? And you made it through, we took our first breath and we incarnated as these individuals that we find ourselves as today. Cancer is the breath in. It's the taking in of life. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's the experience of life. The next water sign that we're going to come across is the releasing of the air and that's death. And that's going to be Scorpio. And so water is going to teach us the aspect of life, the aspect of death, and also the space in between our breaths, the space in between our breathing and um, the releasing of the air in our lungs, that's going to be Pisces. Mm. And that's going to be the space in between. And that's going to be like the ultimate lesson that we're going to make ourselves to, because that's the 12th sign. And so, you know, we're at the fourth sign, we're at a number of completion, but this is the beginning of our experience with water. This is our first dance with love. And, you know, it's it's a tough thing because love, what we're going to make our way to through Pisces is unconditional love. Love's without attachments and love without expectations. That's what we're making our way to. But it's a unique dance, right? Because what we have here is like the motherly love. It's the love of nurturing. It's it's this beautiful experience that if we didn't feel it from our own, like mothers, we can feel it from mother nature. We can feel it from the universe. It's that, it's that nurturing soft voice that guides us. Right. And so when we're kind of um, thinking about this aspect, this is more like, this is more of like, again, like that, that nurturing love Scorpio is really going to kind of represent like our desires and like when we kind of come to maturity and we start noticing what we're attracted to and the, the burning desire that comes with that. And also the, 
the death of those relationships, the dance we have with, you know, loving another person. And then as that cycle ends, dealing with the death of like, oh, I'm not in this loving relationship with this person anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, and it kind of teaches us that separation and it teaches us how, you know, to love something, you have to let it go. And that's what Pisces is really going to kind of get connected to us. But you think about, you know, cancer with the crab, it's, it's, it, it loves, but sometimes it can love with attachment. It's got the claws. So it holds on to what it loves and it like pulls it in and it becomes very protective of it. And so this is the deepest, the intuition and love is, you know, love is what makes us whole. And so this is just like our first dance with this, but we have to go through that experience of being able to release what we're attached to. And that's going to be a big lesson with cancer. And this is, we can see this is, you know, as adults who can't leave the side of their mother, mm. you know, and they, they just need to be kind of nurtured and they never actually separated from the mother. And that could be so damaging in this realm. And that's what Capricorn's going to like help us kind of do. Um, but this also can represent the mother that won't let go of the child, right. you know, like I love my mother. Um, but she, you know, at one point, she can't come to my house and drop me off food for the week. So she knows I'm eating lunches because like as an adult now, if I don't make my own lunches, I deserve to be hungry. I'm at that age now. Like I love her and she, it's, she's so caring and she's like, no, Daniel's a dummy. He's not going to make his own lunch. He's just going to eat tortillas or something. Right. And so she like still kicks into that. Now it's an amazing thing. And I'm so blessed to have an individual like that. But at one point I need to like say, Hey, I need to starve. Like I'm no longer on your knee. I'm no longer on the breast. Like I had to move away from that. And that's a really important component. And You're so- He's so tall and slender. He's so tall and slender. You got to eat something, right? Eat something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so um, this is really unique. And when we think about unconditional love, I think the greatest example of unconditional love that we're making our way to is the love that we have for our animals and the love that we have for our friends because you can have a dog that's just a goofball right but you love him because he's a goofball like you could have a dog that like runs into the sliding door but you love him for that where if it was your child you're gonna try to like if they're too goofy you're gonna try to like form them and like you know change who they are but maybe their authentic self is being that you right. know and so we Again, it's like loving without expectations, loving without any kinds of attachments and just letting the love blossom. And the animals unconditionally love you. You know, they they always give 100% like we were kind of speaking about. But this is a good idea of when we think about this unconditional love and loving without expectations of what we're going to be moving through, um, seeing that love that the animals provide. Well, understanding that, that, that love, what you're talking about, that intuitive perspective is coming from even the esoteric lessons that we go on and on about because there is no way of communicating verbally to the animal and instinctively there can be we can both feel fear we can both feel um, the idea of comfort and shelter but the intuitive feeling of love that we have for one another it's like undeniable to the po point where most animal owners Will tell you like no you just don't get it it's like no you're right it's like it's your own language and your own chemistry between the two of you that is truly just um 
not only beautiful to witness, but a good observation for what that true love actually is, you know? Absolutely. It's complex, but not, you know, it's micro and it's macro, you know, it's above and it's below. That's exactly how I feel about it with my animals. Like you can't deny it to, from me, Mm -hmm. um, nor can I really explain it to you. Um, or I could to an extent, much like this information that we decipher. Right, right. You know, and so this is such an important aspect because this, this really tells us how we, you know, cancer teaches us how to nurture, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, one of the things that we, when we're doing this process of nurturing and we think about like what we're nurturing, you know, this is, this is everything. Um, how we, how we promote life, how we promote consciousness, you know, we kind of spoke about it with the tree in the last podcast episode, but the idea of nurturing the tree rather than focusing on the fruit. Mm. And if we nurture the tree, the harvest will come and it will be more abundant and we'll get actually what we need rather than what we want. And we don't even realize how much we kind of limit ourselves, right? And we kind of spoke about that. Well, that's cancer, you know, nurturing the seed, putting the seed in the ground and putting water on it. And, you know, again, sometimes in the esoteric and the spiritual community, we can kind of sometimes chase our tails a little bit. And, and there's like, you know, this discussion of like, there's no such thing as right and wrong. Well, nurturing would say otherwise. Okay. If I put a seed in a potted plant, right. And I get soil and then I feed that stuff Gatorade. Well, that, that's, that seed is not going to sprout correctly. So there is a wrong way to nurture and there's a right way to nurture. Um, we can think about this through our experiences with our nurturing, you know, and, and how important that component is to, to give love and to give a better understanding. And what we nurture is strength, because if you don't have strength, you cannot love. And it's, it's this big kind of thing. And it's when we even think of ourselves as parents, we nurture the independent, authentic strength of whatever it is we're raising, whether it's children, animals, plants, nurturing our career, nurturing our own self-development, you're always nurturing for strength um, because only the strong can love, Right. you know? And that's such this unique kind of, um, kind of component. So, you know, there does come this like right way to nurture and a wrong way to nurture. You know, you don't nurture with pain. You nurture with, with grace. And it's that, again, it's that soft, such important aspect that's brought on by that feminine energy. And again, you know, the father can be the role of this feminine energy as well. Everybody has this nurturing component. Same-sex marriages, you and you're raising a child, you both can have that part of the mother or one person can kind of take that, but somebody's going to take that feminine component. It doesn't matter, obviously, the gender you were given, right. but everybody has this, this nurturing aspect. But we have to nurture because nature will kill you if you don't nurture, you know? And so we need to nurture the connection to their instinct. We need to nurture their intellect. And then we also need to nurture their intuition. And this is very much the guiding aspect of um, that feminine motherly force that's within all of us. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. A lot of the things you're saying, you know, I, I've, I've read through with either Carl Jung or even someone we talked about before on the podcast, which is Mary, it's Mary Lou von Franz, 
who is the Swiss psychologist who was a student of Carl Jung. And she talks about the damaging effects of, you know, what it's like to over nurture and then create these men uh, that are sort of useless in all kinds of categories um, from having the opposition or the opposite sex not find the proper way to nurture what that um, child might need, um, which then hence comes the papers that they've written about the man child in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And so I, I completely agree with what you're saying, because, you know, again, it's said a few times through instinct with Carl Jung on having a true understanding of what that is and having the application, um, be not, um, to not be, um, use so lightly and have a real understanding of what that intuitive nurturing aspect is to the psychological development of a human being, which is again, what we're talking about here with the forced labor, right? <laughs> Just to bring it back, you know, with how he's, he's going about it with these voices that he hears and how to decipher between the three, um, from the deities. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, the importance, and again, even if you're not nurturing, you're always nurturing your own self unfoldment. Right. You know, and so even when you think about that, there's a proper way to nurture your self-unfoldment right. and your self-discovery. And it could be, you know, it could be through meditation. It could be through spiritual relationships. It can be studying these these principles that we're talking about today. But like, we got to be honest with ourselves. There's ways that you can stunt that nurturing of your own authentic self-discovery, right? If you're, you know, if you're like, you know, playing Marco Coco, and like, you know, doing drugs and then get like a black eye at a strip club because you were like rowdy. Well, you know, that seems like that would be not a way of really developing your higher self. Right. You know, now it might be that rock bottom that you need to hit to be like, okay, I need to kind of change something. So it could be this awareness. Um, so it could be the planting of a seed, but always looking at like, you know, if I do have a goal, which is the discovery of myself. Right. I do need to nurture that and I need to carry that and I need to hold it close to my heart that this is the ultimate reason why I'm here, you know? And that's one of the big things that when I talk about deception, yeah, nature has deception, but the ultimate deception is us not asking the question of why am I here? You know, whether you chose to be here or not, here you are, you know, right. you are here. And so understanding that that is the ultimate goal. And that is why we have so much static. That's why there is a script that's played out. That's an illusion to distract you from the only reason why you took your first breath was to develop yourself and connect to this universal consciousness, connect to this unconditional love and develop your character. And so we have to be real with ourselves as students that are aspiring on this esoteric path, that there is a proper way to nurture ourselves and there's a proper way to depress ourselves. And we feel depression when we depress ourselves of this universal life force. Right. And so becoming aware of that, yeah, you have free will and you can choose each way you want to go. Um, and there is a right way if like, you know, playing Marco Coco is what you want in this life. Um, and, you know, but is that why you're here? And to add to what you're saying that we talk about even just as friends is that that nurturing component for ourselves and what we need to do in order to develop that is not just imperative, but also just bearing the question, just asking the question. And even though we have a free will decision to go whichever path we want to go, asking the question before we go on the path is imperative. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that 
corresponds to that nurturing mm-hmm. component. You know what I mean? Like I uh, remember when I started re- reading um, Marcus Aurelius's uh, meditations, the cool thing about that, that I know that this individual that people have heard of Ryan holiday before, but he's put it into very easy uh, digestible um, opinions that he has in regards to um, what Marcus Aurelius would say, but anyone could pick up what he's saying in the sense that he's not leaving these messages behind for you. He was writing it to himself. And that's great because you're seeing, uh, you know, an individual of great power and great comfort have the ability to say, I must nurture, you know, the mind and the soul by being inquisitive of what my weaknesses are and how to go about them. And mm-hmm. I think that's just like very, very important to always have, you know, before going on any path, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just having that ability to say, how can I better the self and what, what I need to do in order to start that? And it doesn't have to be some arduous, you know, goal of losing massive amounts of weight or gaining a bunch of success or a, a handful of, of financial um, gains, but really having the ability to look at yourself and find out, well, what do I need to do first? That will then lead me to do something after that's better than the situation I'm in right now. Like just bearing the question starts that just asking the question. So no, and this is really important because we have to learn how to ask our intuition questions. Right. And this is a really important process of, again, taking knowledge and putting it into wisdom and putting this knowledge into action. And your intuition knows what you need. And learning how to ask yourself that intuition. And you can use the active mind of the thought component, the active side of our consciousness, to present a question Mm -hmm. to your intuition. And then what you're supposed to do in meditation is try to separate that from the active consciousness. So the subconsciousness can actually develop it, and you actually plant the seed. We talked about this before with utilizing the active consciousness to penetrate and impregnate the subconscious with a seed that will later sprout as spiritual insight. And so we often don't just take time to ask our higher self. And the thing is, is we want the answer right away. And we're like, well, why didn't it come right away? Well, it's because you kept thinking about it. You have to think about it and then you almost release it. And then you allow for the process of unfoldment to unfold. Everything's in its cycle and its pattern, you know, understanding how that works and you know, you will get this at the right time. And this is, that's an important component to think about even how we, you know, practice with meditation. You know, you can ask your intuition anything. Your intuition is connected to the all, so it knows all. Mm. And this is, again, why we study symbols. This is, again, Mm -hmm. why we study astrological correspondences. And, you know, when we study symbols and we meditate on them, we read about them in like a, you know, like a, symbol dictionary or you get like a good esoteric encyclopedia that will like break down the symbols you learn them so you get the intellect and then what happens is you impregnate that into your subconscious and all of a sudden you get an insight that you've never seen in any symbol dictionary before but it resonates as this this is a deeper understanding of it and it could be beyond words and so you have two choices there if you're stuck in your intellect you'd be like well i've never read that Nobody's else ever said that before, so I'm just going to delete that. But if you really connect to yourself, you're like, no, I'm getting, I'm getting some really deep knowledge download right now and accepting it. Now, see how it feels with you. If like when you think about it and you have like an emptiness in your stomach, mm, you know, that might not be a good indicator. Right. But if you think about it and a warm energy runs up your spine and all of a sudden you see, you know, colors brighter, you know, there's like this empathy and this like deep laughter that comes over you. Well, that sounds like a ding-ding moment. It sounds like you got it. And 
again, understanding that the intuition, our higher self, is our connection to that OG, which is that universal life force, the original generator. And it unconditionally loves us. And so, of course, it's going to guide us. It's our father and our mother. Mm -hmm. It nurtures us, but it also provides, you know, the energy to protrude forward and actually accomplish what we're supposed to do so it can continue its evolution. And, you know, as we do that, the whole universal consciousness evolves. Understanding these tools is so important. The intellect takes us to show us the tools we have. Right. And then the intuition really shows us how the tools work within us. And study your intuition. Your gut feeling is just not limited to one feeling. Learn that language of your own gut, you know? And your language is going to be kind of unique to you because you have your own unique destiny. And the thing is, is nobody can do you like you do you. And that's always the most important thing. We have to stop trying to be clones. We have to stop trying to copy people. It's about you unfolding who you are because it's truly, nobody can do Eduardo like Eduardo can, you know, nobody can do Daniel like Daniel can. It's, it's what we have to kind of find. And then competition goes away, you know, and it's really through this nurturing of our authentic selves that we actually learn the true solving to all the world's problems. If we all could just authentically be who we are, everything that people put band-aids on would dissolve if we could authentically be who we were and people could authentically express themselves you know and that's what we're going to be kind of moving to and we first have to learn the subjective self and that's what we're learning through these first six signs and then we're going to kind of learn the objective self so we're really kind of learning the me in here in these first six signs and then we're going to meet the me out there and then when we get to the latter three signs which is like more community and universal consciousness, we meet the us out there, you know, the us in here, I'm sorry, the us in here. And we really kind of learn that we're all universally connected. Exactly. You know, we all have empathy. We all have emotions. We all have these unique kind of experiences. And it's cancer what gives us that softness to be able to connect to others, you know, to truly be able to love people without any conditions or without any kind of expectations. And most importantly, to truly love ourselves and to nurture ourselves and to speak to ourselves in a soft voice and listen to that soft voice and kind of cut down the static and the communication of the, of the screen or the script that's always pushed in front of us. But there's a reason why this, the script of this false reality has to play at us 24 seven because we have a potential in ourselves that we we are unaware of. You know, you can talk to individuals who talk about, you know, oh, this is just like a matrix trap. We're going to be slaves here forever. Well, if we were going to be slaves here forever, and it was like, you know, like they say, like the Anunnaki or whatever, whatever the villain is up high, they wouldn't need to deceive us right there. Like We're not enslaved here because that's they wouldn't have to deceive us. They would just let us wear our chains. But it's the false chains that we think we wear that kind of stays us in this like physical reality and it keeps us going on this wheel of life. But it's when we can actually separate that and be like, well, if there's that much deception, what is my potential? Right. You know, why would they wouldn't spend all this energy deceiving us? No, I mean, the, the fabric of reality, I like to think of it sometimes that is presented to us as like a warm um, cloak that is placed over us and we're told in such a way that without it, it's cold and it's dark, but in that cold and dark places where you find the higher potential that is waiting for you. But when someone gives you a blanket, there's very, there's no need to deny it because 
it's met with this false sense of this comfort that is given to us back to sort of what we might have felt in the womb. And mm -hmm. so that fabric of reality that's placed over us needs to be placed over us in order to just stay where we need, need to stay because moving out of that place, like I said, is a disturbance. But that's why any of these self-help books that you read about, that's all it's about is like meeting a wall and climbing over it and what it took for some individual and their story. If you, you can go through, uh, I don't know how many of these like self-improvement books have been written in the last even 20 years and they'll all be met with this evolution of the self having to go through some sort of arduous period that they found themselves in and have the ability to invert, which is a cliche, the me into a we, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And it might be for a psychedelic experience, it might be something, you know, we've talked about this super traumatic, something that actually changed the course of um, seeing life away from the fabric of reality that's casted over us. It keeps us distracted 24 seven, you know what I mean? So, um, and that's exactly what's happening here with the story. Uh, once again, with Hercules, you know what I mean? He's transmuting in his own way, going into a new level of understanding why that intuition is important and why there's only one individual on this hero's journey that he's on that pertains to him, to him, you know, evolving out of the ideas that he's had or the preconceived notions that he's had of being the successor in this, you know, task that is being presented to him. And that's why it's just so awesome to see the unfoldment of this guy um, that we all know of as to be this gargarious, like, you know, bearded individual who can just take on the world, but really watching him emotionally unfold um, through these tasks is something that, I know for any person who has been through that process knows is beautiful, you know what I mean? And, and should never be denied. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, and kind of, again, going back to this, that instinct, intellect and intuition. And I know we've kind of spoke a lot about the intuition and how important it is. Um, and, you know, just to kind of reconnect to that story, you know, it was so funny too, how the, all three of those de de deities claimed ownership of the dough, right? One was, you know, um, I want to say it was Artemis, mm -hmm. like was for instinct. Diana was intellect. And then Apollo was intuition. But the truth is, is all have a claim to one, but only one has a claim to them all. Right. And that is you. And that is the universal life force. Right. And that's that wholeness that's kind of coming with us. Correct. And, you know, that aspect of, you know, if you want to be holy, you just make yourself whole, you know, and it's we, when we combine these opposites and what we perceive as opposites, like instinct and intuition, no, it's the same energy. You know, we're just seeing it in a hierarchy and we're seeing it that it's a level, but again, we have to build up to get to our intuition right? and we need that intellect to be able to understand our intuition. And this is why, again, it's so important to kind of learn these stories and kind of see how, how this aspect really really kind of unfolds. And so, um, you know, we we're really kind of approaching something with this, this cancer understanding of emotional intelligence. And this is when we start to dance with our emotions. And again, emotions are a water sign because we often get swayed by those emotions, you know, and, and it's going to be really learning how to, again, go with the flow you know, not reacting to our emotions instantaneously, right. but observing them, you know, and that's going to be something that we, we kind of see through this process. And, you know, cancer is, is such a unique sign. And I, 
And I think as we kind of go into part two of this conversation, mm-hmm. I think more of the true like standard astrological correspondences are always going to kind of be brought up. But I do think this episode will make a lot more sense um, after somebody listens to that second episode um, that will be coming, you know, next week. You mean part two when we talk about cancer itself? Yeah. yeah. Cancer itself, no. you know, and it's great. I think that's what makes these, these packaged uh, episodes or how it's broken down into two through Alice Bailey is super helpful because I know we kind of talk as if there's no one listening, you know, when you and I have this understanding of what the astrological uh, correspondence is in the story and how it, you know, relates to these, these um, breakdowns that we have throughout the story. But once we're done with part two, I think it all kind of comes together in such a neat way. So yeah, absolutely. man. excited for that, man. Yeah. And this really is, this is like the, the womb of the spiritual self. And this is kind of the aspect of like taking us through the process of rebirth. And, you know, the womb is dark and we often mistaken this time of planting the seed of ourselves as like a death, but it really isn't. We're, mm. we're, you know, we're planting, we're planting seeds for future harvest with cancer. Um, and how do we nurture those seeds and really understanding, well, it depends on what we're trying to get out of the seed, but there is a, a path that's going to accelerate and strengthen what we're trying to create. And there's going to be something that deprives it and depresses mm. it of its nutrients. And so again, just thinking about our, our connection with nurturing, um, how important it is that it plays a role in our life and how important our nurturing has been, you know, and connecting ourselves to that mother archetype, the moon, which is funny. We didn't even speak about the moon and we didn't speak about Neptune much, but we did kind yeah. of mention, so the moon will be the exoteric sign of this and we'll go much more into detail this in next week. And the esoteric sign is going to be Neptune. Um, but one of the things that we're really going to approach is making sure that we have the proper relationship with the mother archetype. Um, that's looking at our own personal relationship with our mother. That looks at our personal relationship with nurturing in our life, us being the mother, but also, you know, going up a level Mm -hmm. to look at mother nature. Do we have a proper relationship to the mother that houses us here? And then obviously getting to the universal mother, which is, you know, the subconscious and that sacred feminine that's within us that, that needs to be protected, you know, um, because it's, the only thing worth protecting because it's, you know, our connection to the all. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk, you know, about the the aspects of the crab. I'm excited to talk about, you know, the intellect, the intuitional capacities of cancer. Um, I mean, it's all the feels, yeah. you know, cancer, where's their heart or out of their, out of their body, you know, and as myself, as the rising, this was my original relationship with consciousness. I was that kid that was crying when my mom dropped me off for preschool, you know, every time. I was the kid that like in first grade would like call my mother from the sleepover, you know, to come pick me up. And even though when she picked me up, she was pissed at me. And she was just like, how how dare you? Like, like we were going to bed, you know, and all these things. And I'm just like, I love you, mom. And I was like grounded because of it, you know, but I just like needed to be in that presence. And so, you know, it also like connects me to like, how I nurture in myself and like what I nurture and, you know, just approaching life with softness and grace. And that's what is so amazing about nurturing in this feminine energy. Yeah. Sometimes we need to be in stern direction, which we're going to learn with Capricorn, 
But sometimes we just need love and assistance. Right. And, you know, truly just being accepted for authentically who we are. And thinking about that, you know, thinking about how we can kind of evolve from loving with expectation to truly just like unconditionally loving. And that's that's the ultimate goal. You know, through this process, it's always about, again, the development of your character and the size of your heart. That's that's what's eternal. That's what's real. And cancer is really going to kind of connect us to that with through that feeling aspect of what is real? Is it, you know, my position at my job? Is it my bank account? Or is it, you know, the spiritual experiences that I have in this life? Well said, man. I would not add anything more to that. And I can't wait to roll into cancer. So I'm going to leave it there. If that's okay with you, there's anything else you want to say by all means, my friend, because again, I have a lot of questions I'm saving for part two and the understanding of this emotional, um, component to cancer and how to not only have a better understanding of it, but again, once again, and again, and again, the application of being just a better human every day. And as you just said, loving unconditionally and mm-hmm. understanding what that really is and not having an expectation of a return, but more so just have the intuitive ability to know that it's what needs to be done as far mm-hmm. as the OG, that original generator. You know what right. I mean? I like that the way you put that. So um, anything else you want to say, man? You know, just if we maybe like for this week, um, let's really take time to to love ourselves and to nurture those higher components of what it is we want to blossom and what it is we want to sprout. And I can guarantee there's goodness in you and you want to get that unfolded and you really want to share that. And that's when you feel whole and that's when you approach holiness. And um, again, it's just such an honor to be on this path with each and every one of you. It's the greatest honor to be in this space with you like physically today. That's awesome, man. I was thinking the same thing, dude. It's an honor my, for, for me as well to have you here uh, since we've been done a couple episodes from afar, which is still great. But, you know, when I finally see you, there's just more, um, there's a surrender to what all the mm-hmm. things I'm trying to pull from the ether back into uh, my mind and then speak it out loud. And then when I see you, it's like, Oh no, 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 wait a minute. I, I can sort these out mm-hmm. and just go little by little with you on this. And so that to me is a gift uh, with no expectations from you only that you, um, you know, you give me the space for that. So it's always like a good reminder of like why you're a good friend. You know what I mean? So you complete me. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, dude. Um, cool. Uh, well, on to the the things that have been occurring behind scenes. So Dale and I have found some pretty interesting um, moments in our life, uh, making and creating this space and finding peace on how to not be overly ambitious, but also be right on point with regards to this entire uh, podcast organization that we have going on here. New website new um features to the website we're gonna be uh can i start talking about now the hype of this website let's hype it up let's hype it up all right so one of the things we're gonna do is we are definitely gonna show for those who are patron members first of all thank you but you will have a video uh in the near future where we sort of explain the transition of everything we're doing and how it's going to work and what the features are on the website for all those who are still just listeners and going to our website um at knowthyselfpodcast.org uh there there's endless resources there as well uh in a way as far as the natal charts the things that daniel's doing and you know even some 
um, some ways to guide you through the episodes that we that we put out. Because I know some people don't have Spotify, some people find us through iTunes and so forth. We're gonna work all that out into the next website. So thank you so much for your patience and shout out to all the individuals who are helping us get there. Um, some of these talented individuals, all the artists with our posts, I keep thinking about that. Thank you so much for the beautiful art that you make that we're able to then share. And if you have more you wanna share with us as far as your art, it helps not only us, but we would love to just, you know, help you and put that um, out there over and over and over and over because that's how this will all will grow is having that understanding that we're not expecting much out of, you know, each and uh, every one of you. It's just if each of every one of you feel compelled to just like joining us on this journey of just like greatness and love and compassion and um, all the things that we speak about in regards to truth you know, reach out to us and we'll, we'll definitely, um, you know, have a way of interacting with you, uh, especially more frequently and putting out some great stuff. Daniel's got some awesome videos on the Patreon accounts. If you haven't seen those, those are great to just sort of kind of, you know, see where we're all, uh, at and what we're talking about, uh, aside from the topic at hand. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait for this new site. Yeah, no, I'm so excited for the website. Um, everything that you just said, and again, you know, the, the patron videos and I, my ebb and flow as we moved into cancer, I, um, I did kind of feel myself go in my shell a little bit. And we kind of spoke about that process of unfoldment and, you know, where sometimes I feel very expressive and sometimes I just have to go into the woods with like no shoes on and people are like, did he die? Where did he go? But like, he's still alive. He's here. And, um, so I'm really looking forward to continuing some of those deep conversations that we're having on the patron. Um, connecting to all the the great video responses um, and video requests that we're going to have. And that's going to be something that we are really going to amplify with this new membership page. Yes. And, you know, the most important thing um, about this membership is, or, you know, the website and the membership is the blog and the ability for each and every one of you to join this conversation, have this rich conversation, not only with Eduardo and myself, but all of the listeners and all of the people in this community. Um, because I have the wonderful blessing of being able to talk to listeners four to five times a day with like natal charts. And every time I meet people, I'm just like, did we just become best friends? And like, we're all after the same thing. Yeah, We're all in support of each other. And Let's create a network. Let's create a community. Let's get you connected to like-minded individuals that live close to you, where you can have like, you know, face-to-face conversations. Let's get you connected to people that you resonate across the seas. And, you know, you can maybe have Zoom calls. Like, we really want to build that community. We really want us to get a, a platform that you feel comfortable and, you know, be able to, the nice thing about it is we'll we're all approaching it with the same fundamental principles and we could have different opinions about certain things, but the the strong principles of objective truth and unconditional love is what everything is rooted out. And so we don't have to agree with everything that everybody's saying, but we're, we're at least aligned there. We don't have um, any like, you know, nihilistic solipsism that's going to be kind of developed. Right. Um, like that poo poo could be for Reddit. We're going to really kind of keep it like, really um kind of directed to the esoteric and i'm excited and no 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 hate on reddit i love there's certain aspects of it um especially the original creator of reddit rest in peace was the man the myth the legend but um yeah man i'm i'm so excited to build this absolutely it's a it's a great place that we can all sort of again express our opinions and come from a 
from the same disposition from various different studies and, you know, things that we may not even know about right now that we are excited to learn from you later on. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. That's coming up soon and we will keep everyone posted. We'll definitely keep things on the social media. We'll keep things going on through the Patreon. We'll go through the website. You will know where to go and how to connect with us, um, in a way that we haven't done yet before. So with that being said, until next time. Yeah. And I wanted to make one more statement because I'm not, I love Reddit users. The moderators of Reddit though, you guys are Nazi commies. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, my guy. Awesome. What is Marco Coco? I I, so like my, (laughs) I I really thought like the first time I saw Scarface, I was really just waiting for Al Pacino to be like Marco and then like do like a whole line of cocaine and go Coco and then just do it. (laughs) That was like my ultimate dream of that. I really want that scene. I mean, not that I want that scene, but I remember the first time I saw it, I'm like, that would be so funny if they did that. Um, So we could cut that if we want, but um, yeah, no worries. Um, isn't that the funniest joke in the world? Though? That is the... Like, Marco! Is Marco? And he's like, Marco! Oh, yeah. Um...